You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. Home. We all know where ours is. Close your eyes and you can picture it exactly. Walls that shelter us. Doors that open to greet loved ones. A bed to rest your head and pass the night away peacefully. The place where you are safe. The place where you belong. But not every house is born to be a home. The lonely bones of High Chapel House sit upon the hill. Its ancient, blackened walls shape a coffin for some great dead thing within. Its gates stay locked, keeping those outside away. Nothing grows upon its grounds, for nothing can live there. The shadows thrive against it, even on the brightest days, like a melancholy that won't fully be shifted. No one remembers when it was built. It has simply always been, as if it had grown out of the ground. No one has seen a resident in many years. Though you wonder, what monstrous thing could call this place home? And so, High Chapel House has sat patiently upon the hill, older than the world, with ill intent in its heart, hungry and watching. There were rumors, stories of eerie green lights glowing behind the windows, moving from room to room. Sometimes sounds could be heard in the night, loud enough to travel into the valley. Cries of anguish, or laughter devoid of cheer. Sometimes from a single voice, sometimes from many. So you can imagine my horror as my sister walked me onto its grounds and into its waiting moor. We met as I was out for my late afternoon walk. I wasn't expecting to see her, but Sadie looked as though she had been waiting for me. She was excited and shaking, somewhere between laughter and tears. I asked her what the matter was. She said there was nothing wrong, and that, in fact, something wonderful had happened. Something almost impossible to believe. Oliver, I can find her, she said, through tears and a delirious smile. The her she referred to was our sister, Angela, who had passed away the previous winter. Her death had sent both Sadie and I into a spiralling depression, from which I still struggled to bring myself out of. 
Sadie, on the other hand, chose to find more productive channels than I to process her grief, which resulted in a newfound lust for life. I asked her what she was talking about. Breathlessly, she explained how several weeks ago she met a man, a stranger. The two became acquainted, and before long, the conversation turned to Angela's passing. The man told her that, if she would like, he could help her, as he had run seances for many families in the past. I wanted to stop Sadie and explain how this stranger was obviously out to swindle her, but she persisted. She explained that she agreed to it, and chose not to tell me as she knew I wouldn't approve. So the man prepared everything, and in a dark room lit only by a single candle, they began their communion. There were a few minutes where nothing happened, but then the table started to move, the candle guttered, and a spirit made itself known. But this spirit wasn't Angela. I couldn't hold my tongue any longer. I told her that this was how these supposed occultists operated, with parlor tricks and sleight of hands that culminate in a dramatic performance to trick you into thinking they have communed with the dead. They make you pay over and over for the service until they find who you are looking for. They are parasites preying on people's grief. But Sadie simply shook her head. No, Oliver, you don't understand. The spirit did communicate, but it did it through me. I blinked stupidly. She was right. I didn't understand. She went on saying how the voice didn't speak through her, more she heard its voice in her head and wrote the ghost's words down. At one point, she felt that she was almost able to see the spirit, but it was just out of reach. When it finished, the stranger was visibly shaken, and he read the spirit's words back in disbelief. He begged her to meet him again, only this time he would bring another friend who had a similar gift and was also searching for someone. Sadie agreed to meet her. The night the trio held their vigil was even more explosive than before. Sadie recounted she felt a sensation all over her body, like a tingling pressure, then swore she saw a vision of a group of people, all of them blurred and dark like a shadow. And at the end, there was a whisper, one that spoke in Angela's voice. Fresh tears flowed down her face as she told her story. When I heard her, I wanted to keep going, but I couldn't, even with the new woman's help, she said. But I was so close. I know if I were to do it again, I could find her. I was aghast at this tale, 
and was torn between a desire to scold her for being taken in by such an apparent deception and my pity at her state of mind, which seemed somewhere between euphoric, exhausted, and desperate. When the worst moments of my grief overtook me, she was the only one who patiently helped me through it. I could afford her the same courtesy now. But I was at a loss as to what to say about this fantastical account, and only managed to ask, Why are you telling me this? She smiled in a way that seemed more like an apology. We're gathering again tonight, but not just the three of us. Mr. Stoker says the reason that the last one went so well was because mine and the other woman's energies worked together. He says a medium's energy is like food to the spirits. So the more people present that are like us, then the more energy they can use, which gives us a better chance of finding who we're looking for. But I want you to come too, Oliver. I need you to. Because the moment I find Angela, I want you to be there to hear her. She took my hands in hers and stroked them. In spite of my skepticism, a lump grew in the back of my throat. I knew that if I refused, she would be heartbroken, but go ahead and do it anyway. I did not trust this Mr. Stoker, whoever he was. And if nothing else, my presence among these proceedings would at least make him think twice if he was trying to swindle her. Reluctantly, I agreed. What Sadie failed to mention was where this gathering was due to take place. If she had, I would have absolutely refused and forbade her to go anywhere near it. But even so, I found myself being ushered through the gates of High Chapel House. Only something was different about it. For as long as I had known it, the house had been broken down and dark. But tonight, there were lights inside blazing brightly from almost every room. There were others on the grounds already, talking to one another happily as they entered the house. The place seemed vibrant, as if a party were taking place. I had never been so close to High Chapel before. From here, It seemed an even more formidable beast than it had from a distance. How had Sadie come to be here? She entered the house first, and I had no choice but to follow. The inside was just as warm and inviting as it appeared from outside. Electric light filled the red-carpeted hallways and illuminated the gilded frames of the many exquisite paintings on the walls. Fires crackled in the hearths of some of the rooms. The group of us followed a surprisingly circuitous route through the corridors. Sadie was now a few steps ahead of me, introducing herself to a short man with round glasses. I followed them, 
but stayed well behind the group so as not to be drawn into conversation with anyone, as I was still certain I would not be able to hold my tongue over the ridiculousness of the situation. We passed by a turning on my right that led to another long corridor, lined with many doors. There was something different about this hallway, as it was the only part of the house I had seen so far that was completely dark. There was a damp smell that emanated from it in gentle wafts. As my eyes adjusted to the deepening dark beyond, I saw that several of the doors were open. Someone was looking around one of them. My breath caught in my chest. At first, I thought that maybe I had mistaken something for a person. But the more I focused, the more its outline became clear. It appeared as nothing more than a shadow. Whoever it was, they were standing still seemingly wondering if I had seen them, and for a moment, we stood and just stared at each other. Its eyes caught the glare from the light of my hallway and reflected it back, shining an unnatural white. Two gleaming pale orbs in the darkness. I can't say how long we stood like this before I heard Sadie call my name. I quickly looked over to her, and as my head was turned, I heard a click from down the corridor. When I looked back, the figure was gone. We soon arrived at our destination, where our host, the enigmatic Mr. Stoker, the owner of High Chapel House, greeted us. I took an immediate dislike to him. As he spoke with each of his guests, I found it a wonder that no one else had seen through his facade, which was painfully obvious to me. He smiled like a shark, and oozed through the rest of the group before eventually arriving at Sadie and I. Sadie introduced us, and explained to Mr. Stoker why she wanted me there. He pursed his lips and sighed, but relented to my attendance. It might prove useful to have a skeptic around, he said in a voice that was deep but not pleasant. Then he excused himself and slid his way back through the group. (laughs) The room was made up with candles and low electric lamps which provided the appropriate ambience for the evening's proceedings. In the middle of the room, there was a round table with a mirrored surface. Mr. Stoker asked everyone to take their seats around it, as it would soon be midnight and they could begin. Each member of the congregation found a place at the table, all except myself and, unexpectedly, Mr. Stoker, who stayed a few steps back from the group. He asked the short man Sadie had been speaking to earlier to begin the proceedings. The man complied, asking everyone to place their hands palms down against the table, close their eyes, and clear their minds. 
The group then called out to the spirits, taking turns summoning. Most of them called out for someone in particular. Each time they did, I felt a sadness for each of them, for they had all ended up here because they were searching for something. Their need to satisfy their grief wouldn't let them move on. Just like Sadie. Just like me. When it was Sadie's turn, she asked for Angela. A cool breeze wafted past me unexpectedly, and a candle on the table began to flicker. One of the women around the table excitedly declared, Someone's here! I looked around and saw nothing except for the flickering candle upon the table. Mr. Stoker's stare was locked onto the group. Sadie gasped as if she had suddenly been doused with cold water. I see them, she hissed. A few others started acting in much the same way, all growing excited at the new visitors they could see through their still-closed eyes. There was still nothing to be seen in the room, but the temperature was noticeably falling. Sadie said the figures were taking shape for her now, becoming clearer. She could hear them speaking. Her breathing became rapid. Mr. Stoker was watching her with a fixed interest. The others continued summoning, hoping it would give the spirits the energy to make themselves appear better for Sadie. The table jumped up sharply from the floor and fell promptly back down. I jumped at the sudden movement, and others cried out too, but they kept their hands on the table, not wishing to break the connection. Sadie hadn't noticed. The bookshelf next to the table started to rock back and forth rapidly, and books shook themselves loose from their places and fell to the floor. The movement of the table was becoming more animated. Sadie was speaking quickly, losing herself to a string of words as the chaos around us intensified. Her hands left the table. Her feet rose from the floor. I watched in disbelief as she left her chair and lifted into the air. The others gasped as they witnessed her rise up and gently fall onto her back suspended five feet in the air as if she were lying on a table. I see them, she said blissfully. They're everywhere. They're like angels. I remained frozen to my seat, aghast at what I was witnessing. They come from under the house. They come through a... The group had to fight to keep the moving table under control as they all listened to Sadie. Most were in as much disbelief as I. Her brow furrowed. Wait, she said in a lower tone than before. They're not angels. I could hear the fear in her voice instantly. She began to panic shaking her head and moaning at her vision. 
She flailed her arms as if fighting something off, and repeatedly cried out for them to stop. At the table, the others started to convulse, their bodies shaking with a seizure-like violence. The table bounced against the floor, and the books flew across the room. I looked over at Stoker, who simply stood back with an expression of amusement. Sadie screamed. I ran to her, hoping to pull her down, but she was frozen in the air. She howled as if she were on fire. On and on it continued in an endless breath. My hand slipped from her, and I fell. When I hit the ground, everything went dark, as if every light had been extinguished in that split second. But as I looked around, in the moonlight I saw that the room was completely different. Everything was in a state of ruin. Paint flaked from the walls. Furniture lay broken throughout, and everywhere there were thick layers of dust and spiderwebs. It was as if no one had stepped foot in there in decades. My hand brushed against something. I turned, and to my horror, I saw Sadie lying on the floor beside me. Her body was contorted at an odd angle, and her eyes were wide open, but there was no life in them. She was dead. Everyone at the table was too. I regarded their empty, fearful eyes in terror, unable to think. I looked to check on Mr. Stoker and cried out. There were several shadow forms in the room, each one of them with eyes that glowed white. All of them were looking in my direction. One of them moved forwards, and I scrambled to get away from it, but I couldn't raise myself to my feet. The figure cast an eerie green glow as it walked. It loomed over me, and its features cleared. I recognized traces of what had been Mr. Stoker, but the face was now a ghoulish, dead-looking thing. He smiled his shark-like smile, exposing grey teeth, then spoke in a voice that chilled me to my soul. On an island far away, in a time long forgotten, a tree was born from an evil seed. As the tree grew tall, the roots dug deeper. They dug through the earth and under the oceans, spreading far and wide, carrying the evil of that seed to all corners of the world. When they reached somewhere new, they climbed back out of the ground, and on that site would grow something else. Something born of the darkness of that dead tree, 
such a haven is made for us. I trembled, not fully understanding what this horror before me meant. He looks down at my sister. If you go searching where the dark things are, be prepared for when the dark things find you. With one last smile, he stood up, and to my surprise, stepped aside. He held a hand out towards the door, signaling for me to leave. Confused, I half stumbled, half crawled my way from him, not even daring to take one last look at my sister. I will always regret leaving her there. Shadows stood everywhere as I made my way back through the halls toward the exit, and I dared not raise my eyes to meet them. As I stepped out into the night air, I immediately broke into a run. When my lungs burned and I could go no more, I stopped and looked back at the house. All the lights were gone. It was once again the cold, dead thing it always had been, and would be forever with eyes that constantly watched. High Chapel was never meant to be a home. It was a nest of evil things, the fruit of an evil seed, a feeding ground, and ultimately, a tomb. This story was written and read by Andrew Bate, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.